Well, good morning. Good morning on a rainy Sunday. And we want to welcome the folks that are joining us online as well. Um, hey, just not this doesn't concern the folks that are joining us online, but this is for all of you. Um, I was just talking to myself backstage, and we decided that, uh, that in hopes of staying dry, you guys can feel free to stick around for the third service today, okay? Because <laughs> uh, I think it won't be raining after the third service. So uh, if someone comes in and they try to claim that seat, you tell them that we've already told you, you can stay there. All right, let's jump into things today. Did you know that on an average day, a person laughs 10 times? Did you know that on an average day, a person checks his or her cell phone 150 times? On an average day, a person uses the bathroom six times. On an average day here in the United States, 12,000 people experience a dog bite. And of that number on the average day, 16 of them are mail carriers. On an average day, a person curses 80 times. <clears throat> now, I don't curse, so somebody out there is uh, <laughs> making up for an additional 80 times. On the average day, a person uses 80 to 100 gallons of water. On an average day, a person exchanges 41 text messages. On an average day, a person touches his or her face 256 times. On an average day, a person watches 2.8 hours of television. And on an average day, Jesus is coming back. And that's what the Bible tells us. You know, that, 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 that it's not like there's a certain particular day out there that we're all ramping up to, but we know where it is, and, you know, that day is going to be a special day because of what's going to happen on that day. That's not the way the Bible approaches this subject. The Bible basically approaches it. It's just going to be seemingly your typical day when it happens. The Bible treats it very matter-of-factly. In fact, that's probably not the best way to refer to it. The Bible treats it very emphatically because of the sheer volume of times it references it. There's a grand total of 260 chapters in the New Testament. By the time you take the 27 books that make up the New Testament and you look at the number of chapters of all of those and you add it all together, you end up with 260 chapters in the New Testament and there are 318 references to the second coming of Christ. And what that means is that one in every 30 verses 
is talking about the second coming of Jesus. For every prophecy, both Old Testament and New, in reference to Jesus' first coming, there are eight references to his second coming. Baptism is talked about in like 20 different passages. Repentance is spoken of in a little more than 70 passages. The second coming of Christ is well over 300 times. Let me show you one of those times. Acts chapter 1. Now let me put this a bit in a time frame in your mind. This is right at 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus was crucified. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. And over a period of time of some 40 days, there were numerous resurrection appearances that, you know, involved his disciples a number of those times, but it involved some other people as well. And so 40 days later, we're reading about what happens on that day. Uh, it's recorded here in Acts chapter 1. Verse 4 says this, On one occasion, while he, being Jesus, was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Then a couple of verses later, he talks again about that gift. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Then immediately following that statement, this is what happens. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. So imagine the scene for a moment. Here Jesus is. He's saying some of these final things that we just read, verse 8, verse uh, 4. You know, he, he said some of these, these, these things you know, to his disciples. And then all of a sudden, it's like Jesus starts defying gravity. And he starts rising up in the air. Higher and higher and higher. You can just imagine everyone's eyes are following him. I mean, maybe early on, they kind of glanced at each other like, are you seeing this? You know, but eventually, he's getting high enough that they're not taking their eyes off of him. As he goes into the clouds, it eventually disappears in the clouds. The way that is described is early in the passage. It says they were looking intently. Remember back when you were a kid and if you had a helium-filled balloon and you accidentally let it slip out of your hand, or maybe it was an intentional thing. You know, I know in like third grade or something, we all wrote little messages, put them on helium balloons and let go. And, and whoever got it on the other end was supposed to mail it back to us. You know, we, we went out as a whole class and we did that sort of thing. And, and when you let go of those balloons, you remember the tendency as a kid, and maybe the tendency is still there as an adult, is you don't want to take your eye off of your balloon. You keep watching it, and you're watching it, and eventually you're kind of straining. You're almost like rubbernecking as you're trying to, to see, get that last glimpse 
of it. And that's kind of what I think this passage is talking about, is that they were looking intently. They were straining. They were stretching. That's what literally it means in order to see him as he disappeared in the clouds. And while that was playing out, a couple of angels appeared. And the angels, you know, informed all of them that Jesus is coming back in a similar fashion. This isn't just an incidental event that one day will take place. You know, when, whenever it comes to pass, it'll take place. A little something that eventually finds its way into the landscape of numerous other happenings. No, that's not what this passage is talking about among all the other passages that speak on the same subject. This is something that is major. This is something that is monumental. This is something you need to make sure that you have on your calendar. Though, in a very real sense, you cannot get the put this on your calendar but yet it's like you need to have it on your calendar you know I know there's a lot of effort put forth by many people in attempting to nail down a time frame as to when the second coming of Jesus is going to play out I mean I've over the years I've had numerous people you know through the decades that that have asked me and tried to get me to kind of express my opinion and go on record of what I'm thinking as far as when it's going to be that Jesus is going to come. But uh, uh, those of you that know me and have known me for any length of time, you know that I've never been that person to do that. You know, and, and for very good reason. I mean, like right here in the text, what I've already shared with you, Jesus talked to his disciples right before he ascended. He talked to them about dates. And in fact, there are a couple of the verses I skipped over. If you remember, I was in verse 4, and then I went to verse 8. Well, let's look at a couple of those in-between verses. It says, so when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Lord has set by his own authority. They're asking for dates. And he's like, no. That's not for you to know. And then there's the passage where Jesus is specifically talking about the second coming. You know, there's a whole bunch of verses in Matthew chapter 24 and Matthew chapter 25. And we have this statement made by Jesus that Mark also records in his gospel. Jesus said this, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son." but the Father alone. So this is a date. That's why I say, in a real sense, you need to have this on your calendar, but yet at the same time, how do you put it on your calendar when you don't know when that date is going to be? I know it may be disappointing for some people that you know I, I won't step out and try to you know share an inclination that I have as to when it's going to be. Um, because people like to get additional insight into all this. They would really like to be able to know when it's going to be, when it's just around the corner sort of thing. But honestly, a big part of the reason why I don't do that is because of the realization that there has not been a century that has gone by that believers haven't felt like it was close, it was at hand, it was about to happen. Every century has seen plenty of wars, 
has seen famines, plagues, wicked empires brutalizing others, false teachers misleading countless people. Every century has seen that kind of stuff. I did a little Google search on this, you know, as far as uh, projected dates that have been given regarding the second coming of Christ. And uh, there was a whole slug of dates. And I actually wrote down, you know, most of them here on my notes, but it, it's too much to, to actually read. 2021, there have actually been dates already set that have been passed and he didn't come. There are other dates that are yet coming up this year that people have picked. 2020, yep, 2019, yes, 2015, 2012, the year 2000, you know, yeah, that the whole Y2K thing, I mean, there, there was projections there that that was the time. 1994, 1989, 1988, in fact, several more in the 20th century. Go back to the 19th century, 1891, 1890, 1874, 1861, 1844, and additional dates. You go back to the 18th century, 1793, 1757, uh, 1700, yeah. Yeah, people, they all share something in common. The people that have, have pinpointed on a calendar when the coming would take place. They've all been wrong. That's what they share in common. Because that wasn't the time that it came. Even Christopher Columbus, you may not realize, in 1556 was figuring it was going to happen. So that, that was one of the, the web pages that I was looking at. The very next link that came up in my search uh, had some reference to figuring out the second coming of Christ. So I was so tempted that I had to click on that as well. And it had this whole chart and everything, just lots of details. And you could click on the different details and it would expand and give you more information. And, and down at the very end of this extended study on figuring out when Jesus was coming again, in one of the final concluding boxes, there was this statement. The data on the projection table suggests a 95% probability that the second coming is between 2028 and 2041. There you go. It's happening again. People picking dates. And probably as you get a little closer, they'll, they'll, they'll narrow that down a little bit more. Why? I understand there is value to the whole subject of the second coming of Christ. But why all the time and the effort of trying to locate on a calendar, you know, exactly when this is? Even in that passage in Acts chapter 1, Jesus indicated, you know, that it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Well, even right on the heels of saying that, what were the very next words Jesus said? Verse 8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with a map of the Bible lands. But when he says Jerusalem, that's the, the town that they were in. That, that was home base 
for where they were at that time. Judea, that's kind of like the county, the surrounding area. Samaria, that's like the next door neighbors, the next county to them. And of course, the ends of the earth, you can figure out what that is. Um, so, so Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses right here and right next door and a little further out and to the ends of the earth. Here they are trying to nail down some dates. When is this happening? When is this happening? And Jesus redirects their attention to what he wants them to be focused on. What he wants them to be busy doing. And that is being his representatives. Carrying the message of the gospel to the world. That needs to be the focal point. Okay, so now having said that, and we'll come back to that, you know, next Sunday. But um, so, so when Jesus comes a second time, is there anything we can know about that? I mean, we can't really know the date of when that's going to be. We've already established that. But are there some things we can know about it? Well, yeah, there are. I mean, there's 300 and some passages. Some of those are just an isolated verse here or there, but, but a number of those are parts of larger paragraphs or sections of Scripture that expand the thought with additional uh, contributing thoughts to the second coming. So yeah, there are some things that we can know. So let's touch on some of those. First of all, his arrival will be different than his first coming. Let's get that established in our mind. You see part of that in what the angel said in Acts 1 as they were all rubbernecking trying to watch as Jesus you know, had, had defied gravity and disappeared in, in the uh, clouds. The angels had, had said, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. Now, that's different than the way he came the first time. You remember the way that he came the first time. He came the first time kind of under the radar, right? He came the first time in all humility, but the second time that he comes, he's going to come in the fullness of his glory, what the Bible teaches. Paul talked about his coming into the world, and he didn't use some of the vocabulary that typically we use, especially around Christmas time, because we focus more on the whole story of Bethlehem and the stable and shepherds nearby and the angels. and We, we focus on all of that stuff when we're telling the Christmas story, Jesus coming into the world. But Paul took kind of a different angle in talking about Jesus's first coming as found in Philippians chapter two. He said this, who, and that's a reference to Jesus, being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. See, all of that is talking about Jesus. All of that is talking about Jesus' first coming. There's no reference there to Bethlehem. There's no reference there to shepherds and all of this kind of stuff, um, specifically. But yet it's kind of going beyond all of that. And it's basically saying that Jesus, he emptied himself. He set aside his glory. He humbled himself to the point that he took on human flesh. 
and he came. Yeah, angels noticed it when he came. Some shepherds were told about it. But beyond that, the vast majority of everybody else in the world were clueless to what had just happened. That the creator of all had just humbled himself by taking on human flesh and became a human being. And that's what Paul is talking about in that passage in Philippians 2. That was his first coming. But his second coming, oh, it's going to be different. John says in Revelation chapter 1 that every eye will see him. Whereas it was just certain select shepherds that were informed about his first coming. And of course, Mary and Joseph as well. But uh, um, yeah, his next coming, this second coming, every eye is going to see him. It's not going to escape anyone's notice. There's nothing under the radar about this. And uh, um, Matthew 25, you know, it says there that all the angels are going to be with him when he comes in his glory. So, yeah, it's going to definitely be different, the second coming of Christ. Something else that we know based on what the Bible teaches is that his coming will happen unexpectedly, unexpectedly for so many. Here's a good passage that conveys that. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, remember when the Bible was originally written, it wasn't written with verse and chapter divisions. And so before we're done here today, we're going to also be looking at certain verses in chapter 4. Well, it was all the same flow of thought. It just seems like maybe it's a different subject matter being dealt with because now we're in a different chapter. But no, it's, it's the same flow of thought talking about the second coming of Christ. But here's the way uh, chapter 5 opens up. It says, now concerning how and when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly. There's where I got that word from. Like a thief in the night, when people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. So you see that passage, what Paul is saying there is, is that it is going to be something that is going to be unexpected. It's going to catch people off guard. Jesus described it, described it like this. Immediately following the verse where he said, no one knows that day, not the angels, not the son, but only the father. The verse that we looked at earlier, that was verse 36. So he's talking about the second coming, but he leads right into this thought after making that statement. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the son of man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. So this is the way the coming of the son of man will be. Jesus is referencing the whole story about Noah and the flood and the ark and how so many perished. I mean, basically, everyone except for Noah and his family and the animals that were um, on the ark. Now, you may have a visual in your mind that uh, 
you know, Noah was a guy that always had sawdust on his clothes, you know, because he was building this huge boat, you know, which it took him many, many decades to build. That wasn't an overnight or even a three-month project. It took a whole lot longer than that. But, but when you think of Noah, you may primarily think of him as being a construction-like carpenter-type guy working on this boat, and that's what he did all the time, unless he was eating or sleeping. Otherwise, he was working on the boat. But that wouldn't be totally accurate. You look in the New Testament, and you see that Noah is referred to there as being a preacher of righteousness. Yeah, that's the phrase that is used. And what that clearly conveys is that uh, Noah was one who spoke forth the message about the importance of being right with God. The thing was, people apparently just tuned him out. They didn't listen. Look, look at the third to the last line there. It says, they didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. It's not that they didn't have opportunity to know. It's just that they were tuning out what Noah was saying. I think it's pretty safe to, to conclude that Noah was most likely ridiculed for what he was doing. Um, but yet he remained faithful and true in both parts of it. As far as the preacher of righteousness and as far as constructing the ark, he continued to do that for a period of time of 120 years. He continued to do that, and yet the people were still caught off guard when the flood actually took place. You see, Jesus was correlating all of that to being the, the similar, a similar type story to the way it's going to be when the second coming takes place. It's not that people had never heard. They, were, they, they never had someone out there forewarning about what was going to Happen, but it's just that people tune that out in one ear, out the other ear. They really don't pay attention to it. Jesus in that passage goes on and he says this, this is why you also must be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. This is what next Sunday's message is going to be all about. This is why next Sunday's message is so important. In many ways, we're just kind of setting the scene for what next week's message is. So I certainly want to encourage you to be here next Sunday listening. And if there's some reason that you can't be here is to be tuning in online because this is kind of like the introduction of next Sunday's message, setting it up. Another thing that we learn that we're told in the Bible, not just that his arrival will be different than his first coming was, and not just that his coming will happen unexpectedly for many, but thirdly, his coming will bring about a great reunion. I told you that passage in Thessalonians, the flow of thought actually carried from one chapter into the other. So let's back up into chapter 4 and see what uh, Paul was getting a running start and what he was saying. He says this, We believe that Jesus died and rose again. And we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now that is a reference to those that who, have, who have died in the faith. People that have passed on as believers. That's who he's talking about there. Jesus will, will bring with him 
those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command. See, this is where I said earlier that, you know, he's not coming flying under the radar. You know, you look at this verse, and I didn't even touch on this verse when I was making that point. But uh, it says that he will come with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. This is part of the reason every eye is going to see him. It's going to get everybody's attention. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. I love that passage of scripture. It holds lots of meaning. And as time goes on and as I get older and as I lose more of family and loved ones that are a part of our church family that, you know, pass on in the faith, the more I love this passage because of what it tells me. It tells me that I'm going to see them again. I'm going to have that opportunity of being reunited. Some of you that are listening right now, either online or that are here in this room, uh, you have had loved ones that have passed on this past year. You know, I've had multiple ones. Some of you have, you know, as well. And if not this last year, maybe it was a couple years ago, maybe it was 10 or 15 years ago or longer ago. But this passage is talking about them. If they were people of faith, it is saying you're going to have the opportunity to see them again. Boy, that's an encouragement, right? Well, that's why Paul ends it by saying, therefore, encourage each other with these words. He knew full well that this was an encouraging thought. And so he wants us to take it and to run with it and encourage one another with it. Many times when families plan family reunions, and maybe your family is doing that this year, maybe didn't have a chance to last year, but usually, you know, if it's a big family, there will be like a community center that they'll be renting or a shelter house out in a park somewhere that they'll be renting, but uh, that's not what God is using. God's reserving the clouds for the reunion that's going to take place. That we're going to have the opportunity of being reunited with those who have passed on in the Lord and being with them in the Lord. It's kind of like a, a double blessing because we will be united with the Lord at his coming. And boy, that certainly is going to be special enough. But as a bonus blessing, we're going to be able to see our loved ones that have passed on in the faith. And we're going to have the opportunity to be reunited with them. What an encouragement that thought is. Another thing that we can know regarding Jesus' second coming is that upon his arrival, we will be transformed. And that is certainly a Bible word that is used. Transformed. Here's a passage that spells it out pretty clearly. We are familiar with this passage, or at least the first phrase in verse 20. Because it's something that, you know, we talk about and, and we maybe, maybe even know the reference. Philippians 3.20. 
Our citizenship is in heaven. Man, what a cool thought. You know, the truth of that phrase alone, you know, is conveying and reminding us that this world, we're just sojourners here. We're just passing through. This is not our permanent place of residence. You know, our citizenship is in heaven. Our home is somewhere else. Okay, but as you can see, that wasn't the only thought. Paul was kind of ramping up and he was saying some other really important things when he said our citizenship is in heaven. He goes on and says, and we eagerly await a savior from there, a reference to the second coming. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform, there's the word, our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. A transformation will take place when Jesus comes again. What exactly will it be like? What exactly will we be like when we are transformed? Well, based on this verse, it just simply tells us, but at the same time, profoundly tells us that we will be like his glorious body. Our bodies will be transformed to being like his glorious body. These bodies that we are living in right now, these are earthly bodies. They are adapted to this world. They are subject to numerous uh, limitations. Therefore, they are corruptible. That's a good Bible word, corruptible. Yeah, um, yesterday I spent a few minutes getting on Amazon, locating and purchasing, you know, uh, lower back support. I've got chronic lower back problems. Seems like pretty much anything I set out to do, just within a matter of minutes, my lower back is just, you know, really hurting. And, and so, so that's evidence of the fact that my body is corruptible. But, you know, I knew it was already corruptible for multiple other reasons. You know, I, I, I have lived the majority of my life by... Uh, a number of years, 37 years or so, without a spleen. The spleen's been gone for a long time. Corruptible. I've had six to eight different lymph nodes removed, you know, because of cancer or checking on cancer. Corruptible. I have a different knee, an artificial knee in my left knee. Corruptible. I have stents in my heart. Corruptible. Want me to keep going? <laughs> me, me neither. Um, but I'll skip that whole page of notes. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, our bodies are corruptible. That is what the Bible, you know, reminds us of. But all that's going to change when Jesus comes. I like the way Paul said it. You know, we'll jump from from Philippians three, and we'll go to a chapter where. Paul was talking about the resurrection of Christ and the ramifications that that holds for us as people of faith. And in view of what we're talking about right now, here are the key verses. Paul says, listen, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the blink of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, which is very similar to that other passage, in Thessalonians, we saw, right? For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. 
For this corruptible must be clothed with incorruptibility. And this mortal must be clothed with immortality. I don't know if you noticed, but I like using that word corruptible, incorruptible. And now we got incorruptibility. You know, wow, that's a big word. But that's a word that describes the body that you will one day have, the body that I will one day have once they are transformed. And that'll happen following Jesus' second coming. We will have new bodies. And that's special. And sometimes maybe the older, and you don't, it's not even necessarily a thing of olderness because a lot of younger people struggle with a lot of health issues as well. But uh, um, if you've struggled with any health issues to any degree as a believer, passages like that hold a lot of special meaning. But that's not all that we know. Another thing we know regarding Jesus' second coming is that when he comes, the earth will be laid bare. I'm going to show you something in 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to show you a few verses. Um, but before I do, I, I want to preface this a little bit because, because we're going to kind of end this message by looking at this. But next Sunday, we're definitely going to come back to this passage. Like I told you earlier, some of these 318 references to the second coming of Christ, they actually come in the context of multiple verses, paragraphs talking about the subject of the second coming of Christ. And 2 Peter chapter 3 is one of those places. And so just to establish the fact that we're talking about Jesus' second coming, early in the chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, Peter says that there are going to be scoffers and mockers that are going to arise. And they're going to say, where is this coming that you keep talking about? You know, where is the coming? Everything just kind of continues on like it always has been. The same kind of stuff just keeps on happening. And they're going to be ridiculing this, this whole belief that the Christian church has regarding the second coming of Christ. So that is what early in the chapter Peter starts talking about. And it leads him to say some things that we're going to touch on next week. And eventually he gets to this. There's a whole lot of text here. Verses 10 to 13, Peter says, but the day of the Lord will come. It, it will happen. Even though there seems to have been some delays, and we'll talk about that next week, it will happen. And it'll be like a thief. That's the unexpectedness we already talked about. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So basically, this passage is, is reminding us that this world that we're living in right now, as we are experiencing it right now, this is not permanent. This is not indefinite. This is not just going to keep on keeping on keeping on and going, going, going 
indefinitely. That's not the case. The Bible does not say that. There is going to be a major facelift that is going to be taking place. And fire is going to lead the way. And the elements will melt in it all. Don't be thinking that the second coming of Christ is kind of like a bump in the road, a rather significant bump in the road, but then things are going to settle back down and continue on and life will go on as normal. No, if that is the the view that you have regarding the second coming of Christ, then, then you haven't read enough because that is not what the Bible teaches. There will be a new heaven and a new earth that will play out. In case you ever wondered what was going to happen to the old earth, now you know. This is all talked about in another passage in Revelation 21. The last couple of chapters of Revelation talk about that eternal reward that that we're going to, as believers, have the privilege of being able to experience. And chapter 21 begins like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Where did they go? What happened to them? Well, that's what Peter told us. We were just looking at. They passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. The second coming of Jesus. It's not just an incidental event. It is monumental and all of these different concepts that we're talking about and all drive that point home it is monumental no wonder one in every 30 verses in in your new testament brings up the subject of Jesus' second coming it is so major it is so significant now i can't tell you when it's going to happen and if you're looking for that well you can look somewhere else but you're not going to have a reliable answer if someone does have an answer to that because we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. We just know it is going to happen. It is going to happen. And we know we better be ready. And that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday, being ready because there's abundant scripture that emphasizes that. That though you don't know the time and the day, be on your toes. Be ready. And we'll talk about what that means next Sunday. So I've just concluded my introduction for next Sunday's message. All right? Very good. Let's, let's go ahead and have a prayer at this time. Father, I am grateful this morning for this opportunity we have to be able to open your word and to look at words that were written so long ago, but yet have such incredible meaning to our lives today. I'm just thankful, Lord, for the way that you've preserved your word and and the way you still speak truth today. And I pray, Lord, that you would find us to be the people that you have called us to be as we live our lives in the shadow of this incredible day that will soon take place. And might the way that we approach living our lives bring you glory. And might we be all about what you want us to be all about as we approach that day. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.